you're in this all the time. You're thinking about forgiveness. You're working with people around forgiveness. And so today we're going, I'm hoping that there might be a new thought or in discussion together we'll be able to just explore some of the aspects of forgiveness that are challenging for us just personally or with the people that we work with. So a friend of mine, I don't know if any of you know Jan Ugel, but she is on staff with me here. I'm on staff at Operation 220 and we're officed in this building here. So welcome. Glad to have you here. And we've had this conversation a few times that it seems that every, uh, most every situation that we personally encounter or that we encounter with our people that we're working with, that we're ministering to, boil down to one of two things and sometimes both of them. So it's either someone needs to be forgiven or there's something that needs to be entrusted to the Lord. So it's forgiveness on one hand, entrustment on the other, and sometimes it's both. So today is kind of going back to basics. That's what I think about when we think about forgiveness. It's really basic. It's the hallmark of Christianity, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is that you know we know we are invited to be forgiving people. And could somebody close that door back there, please? Thank you. Uh, And it's part of the upside-down world that we live in as believers. You know, it's upside-down to be a believer, that out of death comes life, and out of loss comes gain, and out of hurt and pain can come forgiveness and healing. It's such a universal um, challenge for us. And so I'm looking forward to exploring with you and just getting some of your thoughts and feedback about what forgiveness has been like for you personally and with the people that you care about and are working with. So in when I think about forgiveness, I'm reminded of a couple situations. One of them, if you're local here, you will have heard about this. But in 2018, there was a young man named Bothan John who was sitting at home one evening in his apartment near downtown Dallas, and he was um, killed in his apartment by an off-duty police officer who mistook his apartment for hers. And she walked into what she thought was hers, her place. She saw this person not clearly, but she saw someone and she took him to be an intruder. And through a very tragic turn of events, she shot and killed him. So there was a trial, and Amber Geiger is her name, and there was a trial, and she was found guilty, and she's serving um, in Gatesville in a women's prison now. Um, And the, the very beautiful, striking thing that happened, though, at the sentencing portion of her trial was when Botham John's brother spoke to her from the witness box and said, I forgive you. You don't. Because of, because of Jesus, because of who I am, I forgive you. I love you. I care about you. I only want good for you. And it was incredibly moving for Amber Geiger, who had just been found guilty of killing his brother. Now, his brother was, you know, kind of the, it felt like the linchpin that held the family together. He was very loved. He was accomplished. He was going somewhere in life. He was a believer. And, and his life was, was gone at the hands of this woman who was a police officer. But this brother was able to express such kindness and love through this act of forgiveness in that moment. And if you're curious about it, and if you'd like to see it and you've never seen it, you can find it on, on YouTube and just, and just watch it. It was, it was so stunning what she did, what he did for her, that it was really went all over the world that this uh, expression of forgiveness had occurred. And then recently a friend told me about 
something that she experienced a few months ago. She sat down at her sewing machine and she made this heart-shaped little pillow. And she said when she was working at it, the Lord told her, I'm going to tell you who to give this to sometime. So she tucked it away and then one day she got ready to go to church and, and she said the Lord told me to take it and that he would show me who to give it to. So she went to church and she crossed paths with a man who had been um, hurtful to her, someone who was not an easy guy for her to be with, and the Lord said, it's him. And so she took that, and she said, the Lord told me to give this to you, and he, he just didn't even know what to say. And she said, uh, she said what she felt afterwards was such freedom and lightness over just that, that little gesture of kindness towards him. And um, you'd have to know her to really appreciate how impactful this was and how um, meaningful. And so here we have these two, two different stories of forgiveness from one you know, huge worldwide attention was brought to it, act of forgiveness, and then this small um, small gesture of forgiveness towards this person. And so it just runs the gamut, doesn't it? There's forgiveness comes into play from the heaviest, the most painful things to what might seem to be more small, less consequential situations. Uh, but they're all, they all matter. And they're all part of being in this upside-down world that we live in. You know, it's one of the most complicated things that we will do as humans. There's, I know, probably as I'm talking to you about these two situations, you're probably thinking about something in your own life or in the life of someone that you know or that you're working with where forgiveness has had a role or you've had to um, pay attention to and, and do some work around. So it's universal. We all are challenged to forgive. We all have been hurt. We all have had someone take something from us that didn't belong to them, that they had no right to, whether it's something monetary or something tangible or if it's trust or friendship or maybe you've been ghosted by someone that you thought would be by your side. Um, you know, all your life, or betrayed by someone close to you. Um, it's, it's just a complicated thing to enter into a forgiveness situation in many, many cases. So as a, um, as a person that I've needed to forgive people, but I also work with people who are working towards forgiveness, and there's, there's grief, and there's loss, and there's sadness, and lots of messy, complicated feelings. If most of you are probably familiar, and if you're not, I want to be able to send you a digital copy of the forgiveness material that we use in our offices that has, it's pretty comprehensive. It has a, a title of Forgiveness and Emotional Healing. Are, you, are all of you familiar with what I'm talking about? It's like a multi-page. And if you're not, I want you to please put your name and your email address on that piece of paper over there because I want to send you a digital copy of it so that you can have it. But it's a, a very comprehensive explanation of what does Scripture say about forgiveness, what are the verses that pertain to forgiveness, uh, what are the challenges about forgiving what are some of the things that we think are forgiveness but really aren't forgiveness? And then some guidance in how to actually walk a person through a forgiveness process. So um, I have found that a lot of the emphasis when I was first starting to uh, minister to people, work with people um, in counseling, that there was a lot of emphasis on the cognitive aspect of forgiving, that even though we would say it, it's important for emotional healing for us to engage in this, that 
there was um, the way that I understood it and the way that I applied it to myself at first was mostly about learning what Scripture says about it because I am by nature a forgiving person in Christ, exercising forgiveness. But it was very much with an act of my will coming out of my thoughts about forgiveness. And so I want to talk a little bit today about the emotions that are part of the forgiveness process that I don't think we always know what to do with them. They're messy, they can be very confusing, and uh, a lot of us are might be intimidated by emotions, and we're trying to help people who are in, in distress often. So sometimes it can feel easier to focus on the cognitive and stand in truth, which is not wrong. That is not wrong. It's just that bypassing the emotions means that it's incomplete and that you have some important feelings and things that are sitting there looking to for you to pay attention to that um, you might feel more comfortable not paying attention to them, keeping them locked in that closet or, um, you know, looking at them later. I don't know if any of you have ever had that feeling or experience that with someone, and I see you laughing, Penny, over there. All right. <laughs> had a lot of practice. Me too. I speak as, you know, as I, I know what I'm talking about because that was my default setting for years because I don't like, I don't know about you, but I don't like to walk into painful emotions no, thank you, I'm doing fine, and I've got them shoved away, and honestly, I think I'm fine, and I think I probably have dealt with them as much as I need to, but that has often not been the case, but it takes a lot of courage to, to face and acknowledge um, some hurts in our lives. And so we want to be able to do that for ourselves, and we want to be able to help our people do that too. So, as I said, you know, I tend, I was tending to lean towards the cognitive, and I think that, that a lot of us as believers have come along the way, and we have thought that we have heard that emotions cannot be trusted. And so, just, just bypass those emotions, don't pay any attention to them, they can't be trusted, and that's, that's really not the case at all. In fact, emotions are our friend, and they're like uh, the blinking light on the dashboard when you're driving down the road, and it says, something important is happening here. Pay attention. Look at this. And so maybe you're the type of person who would say, okay, and you take the next you know, turn into the service station or the dealer, and you get somebody to check it out for you. Or maybe you take a piece of black tape and put it over that blinking light and go on down the road and say, everything's fine. No problem. I don't see that anymore. So a lot of us are like that. The, the, um, the reality is, though, that these emotions are our friend. They can't be trusted to tell us the truth, but they can be trusted to show us what we believe. So there's something... If we're angry, if we're hurt, if we're uh, feeling helpless or hopeless, oh, those are great. Let's, let's grab onto those and let's see what's happening, what's going on for you. I want to really understand that. And let's, let's see if we can explore that. But as I said, you know, it takes a lot of courage, especially if you have been very practiced at stuffing your emotions and just functioning at a very high level anyway. So I think you all know what I'm talking about. So, okay, so I'm curious about how this is landing on you. So give me, give me some of your thoughts, your feedback. What are you hearing? You have to engage the heart for the forgiveness to um, do what God intends for it to do. So it can't just be sheer obedience. Mm-hmm. It has to be, we have to forgive from the heart, like Scripture says. Right. Matthew 18, that's that beautiful parable 
exactly <laughs> what, what you're saying. I think it's 1835 when you know that's that story about the, the servant who owed his master all this money and it was, you know, this huge debt. It was impossible. He could never pay it. And so he begged for forgiveness and the, uh, the master said, you're free. I cancel that debt against you. Go on and, and live your life. And then you know what happens. He runs into someone who owes him some money. And he is just like, mm, buddy, you better pay me. And this person doesn't have the means to do it either. And he gets thrown into prison. And he's there until he can make good on the debt. And so then Jesus says, don't do that. Don't be like him. Forgive from the heart. So when we talk about the heart, heart issues, then we're bringing in all that world of the beautiful part of humanity, of being a human, is having feelings, and uh, all of the challenges and complications that that brings in our healing process. And I wonder on that, um, on that servant, he didn't beg for forgiveness, he begged for time. Oh, he that's begged, right. He begged for more time. Uh, and he said, I will pay you all. Right, because and, he w- had the presumption that he could... Right, he could do it. And he mm-hmm. could not, um, he, whether it was shame, whether it was performance, whether it was whatever, guilt, pride, mm-hmm. he could not receive that forgiveness. And it's mm-hmm. like, and then, but but he got it anyways. He was forgiven, but he didn't, he didn't understand it, never could receive it. That's why, at least one thing we... I think it's, that's why he didn't, he could not extend that forgiveness. Very good point. Yes. Right. Right. Yes. You. What are the, sorry. What are the, what are the, uh, the, the real challenges that I've seen in our ministry is the person who cannot forgive themselves. Mm. They can be compassionate about somebody else, maybe. But they just can't get over the fact that mm-hmm. they have done what they've done. Mm-hmm. They're holding themselves to some kind of standard, and they higher standard. Then something's happened. Yeah. They they just can't get over the the tragedy or the loss or whatever that occurred. It's so painful. The recent and one being shame. a lady who um, could forgive a sister who had wronged her, a literal blood sister, uh, who had wronged her, but she could not ever get over the abortion that she personally had had. Hmm. And we're still working that one. Hmm. It's funny when you said that, uh, a friend of mine, you may know Mike Quarles and I, used to, we would do webinars on freedom from addiction for years, and I had a guy, who, a Christian, who cussed me out um, and email and whatever because we talked about you know what's the one person that is most challenging to forgive and it's yourself and he cussed literally cussed me out uh, saying only God can forgive and so we went back and said and and you can't forgive only God can forgive you and I said well do you forgive someone when they hurt when they hurt you yes well what about when you hurt you and he's like only he was just angry some people cannot couldn't get there. Couldn't get there. And, and he was well, he was a believer, and so he cussed me out, you know, in love. <laughs> Did you forgive him? I forgave him. And, uh, it was effortless. <laughs> well, you know, that that is such a fascinating story because it reminds me of how unforgiveness makes us irrational. Mm-hmm. And and so there there's a, an example of that. We just can't think straight. We don't realize it. And um, there is a, an old book, and I think it's probably out of print now, but it's called, the title is something like, Feelings Buried Alive Never Die. And it's a treasure if you can get hold of it. Um, I, I'm sure it's out of print. I have it on my shelf, but it's probably 25 years old at this point. Uh, feelings Buried Alive Never Die. Mm-hmm. So it's just an, an encouragement. Okay, pay attention to what's happening if it crops up. Now, um, there was, I was reminded of a situation about this, how we will get triggered. So if we, if we 
aren't aware that there are emotions inside of us that are tapping us on the shoulder and trying to get our attention. And we don't, we are, they're going to come out. They're going to come out sideways when we least expect it. So I was reminded in preparing this of how years ago, it's probably been 30 years ago now, that I was in a small group and it was around Father's Day and I have a very painful, complicated relationship with my father. And I remember he was opening up this discussion about talking about fathers, fatherhood, something, that he, he asked a very personal question. I can't remember what it was, but what I do remember is my reaction. I went off like a rocket. Mm. And, and I, no one was more astonished by that than I was. Mm. But I had spent you know, all those years up to that point avoiding dealing with a very painful, messy situation. And I, I just couldn't, you know, at that time I couldn't deal with it. And so eventually I did. But it took a long, it, it took years, it took a long time. But that's the kind of thing that we are susceptible to uh, doing when we're neglecting that heart, the heart issue that God is really wanting to come alongside us and walk with us through it. So, okay. Um, I was going to share one thing. Oh, please. I got a, a guy, and he actually wrote something because about three years ago we met and things have been just slowly leaking about him forgiving his father and he just uh, we, we kind of got to the nitty gritty and you know that's the one thing he has to do is take take a step into forgiveness and he, he texted this back to me um, he said I don't feel better about forgiving and he mentions his dad's name I feel better about trusting God enough to obey him hmm. Interesting. So he's engaging and he's inviting God in to this vulnerable place. And God's going to do what only he can do. Right? That's so encouraging to see that movement, isn't it? Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Can I say something profound about that, that I'm hearing in that? Mm Because I think a lot of times we obey God to forgive out of fear. Like, if I don't forgive, I won't be forgiven. Or if I don't forgive, God's not going to bless me. And that's the opposite. Yep. It's saying I'm growing and trusting God. So my obedience yeah. is coming from trust, which is connected to love, not fear. Yeah. That's I, I, I agree with the assessment. And I would add this, that part of this is he feels like he's going to betray his sister if he forgives his dad. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that lies the crux. So you're really right. He is, he's doing it out of desire to be closer to the father. That's, that is a very um, interesting point to me that you said that he's one of the hiccups for him has been his relationship with his sister. So if you would just take one of those and pass it. Uh, I just pulled these two pages out of the forgiveness material that we have that if you don't have it, and I'm sorry, um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I want to get you a digital copy. But I bet it's probably familiar to most of you. But this is some of the um, common misconceptions regarding forgiveness and then the reasons oh thank you. The reasons why we don't forgive. So there are obstacles to forgiveness often. And so this is just you know this is just a examples of some of the things that might hold us back or hold an individual that we're spending time with be like a speed bump for them on the road to forgiveness. And these are legitimate. And when you, when you look at those, you will recognize them. You've heard them or you have felt them. Things that we think are forgiveness, like, um, you know, giving them the benefit of the doubt. I can be in the room with them. Um, I'm willing to be nice and take them a gift, turn the other cheek. I'm pretending that everything's okay. You know, these are these are really normal responses to hard situations where there might, especially if there's pain there, and you're really not wanting to walk into it, or at least not now. 
maybe someday. And uh, so if, as you look at this, does anything jump out at you? Do you go, oh, yeah, I've done that, or I've seen that? Or, as I said, these are very normal, completely understandable. They make a lot of sense. But it's, it's kind of helpful to see them down there in black and white. Go, yeah, these are, these are some of the things that get in the way, some of the obstacles to forgiveness. Okay, I'm going to, um, we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to watch a video. And this is, um, it's, you're going to see right away that this is a, st- a woman is telling her story of having been in the Holocaust in, the, in a concentration camp. And so some of you may have heard her already. Uh, but she has a lot to say to us about forgiveness. And so we're going to take a few minutes and, and listen to her. I was born in 1934, one of a pair of twins. Miriam and I were the third and fourth children in the family. We lived in a very small village in Transylvania, Romania. We got down from the cattle car. People were selected to live or to die. People crying, pushing, shoving, dogs barking, trying to make some sense of that place. A Nazi was running in the middle of that selection platform, yelling in German, twins, twins. He noticed us and demanded to know if we were twins. And my mother asked, is that good? And the Nazi said, yes. My mother said, yes. At that moment, another Nazi came pulled my mother to the right, we were pulled to the left, we were crying, she was crying. And all I ever remember is seeing my mother's arms stretched out in despair as she was pulled away. I never even said goodbye to her, but I did not understand that this would be the last time that we would see her. And all that took 30 minutes from the time we got down from the cattle car, and my whole family was gone. Only Miriam and I were left holding hands and crying. We were Mangala twins, which we found out later on what that meant. Barrack, but it was filled with people who looked to me more dead than alive. 
Next morning, Mangalak emails four of the doctors. Never ever examined me and looked at my fever chart. And then he declared, too bad. She's so young. She had only two weeks to live. For the following two weeks, I have only one clear memory, crawling on the barrack floor, because I no longer could walk, and crawling to reach a faucet with water at the other end of the barrack. And as I was crawling, I would fade out in and out of consciousness, telling myself I must survive, I must survive. After two weeks, my fever broke, and I felt immediately a lot stronger. It took me another three weeks before my fever chart showed normal. Miriam, when I got back, she was sitting on the bed, staring into space. When I asked her what happened to you, she said, I cannot talk about it. I will not talk about it. And we didn't talk about Auschwitz until 1985. The doctors kept asking me to find our Auschwitz files. We never found our files. We never found out what was injected into our bodies. Miriam died June 6, 1993. I didn't, didn't plan to ask him any of these questions. Suddenly, I am asking him, you were in Auschwitz. Did you ever walk by a gas chamber? Did you ever go inside the gas chamber? Do you know how the gas chamber operated? He said, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He said, this is a nightmare that I live with every single day of my life. And when I'm describing the operation of the gas chamber, he was stationed outside, looking through a peephole while the gas was coming down and people were dying. When everybody was dead and nobody moved, he knew that they were dead and he signed what death certificate. No names, just the number of people that were murdered. And I asked him to go with me to Auschwitz in 1995, when we would observe 50 years of the liberation of the cabinet. Because I wanted him to sign a document, just what he told me, but I wanted it signed at the ruins of the gas chamber in Auschwitz. And he agreed immediately. I will have an original document signed by a Nazi. And if I ever met a revisionist who said the Holocaust didn't happen, I could take that document and shove it in their face. I wanted to thank this Nazi doctor for his willingness to document the gesture of operation. I didn't know how to thank a Nazi. I didn't tell anybody about it because even to me it sounded strange. I didn't want everybody to change my mind. After 10 months, one morning I woke up and the following simple idea popped into my head. How about a letter of forgiveness from me to Dr. Munch? I knew immediately that he would like it and that was a meaningful gift. Auschwitz survivor gives him a letter of forgiveness to a Nazi doctor. But what I discovered for myself was life-changing. I discovered that I had the power to forgive. No one could give me that power. No one could take it away. It was all mine to use in any way I wished. And that became an interesting scene because as a victim of almost 50 years. I never thought that I had any power over my life. Now, I began writing a letter and I didn't know how to write a letter of forgiveness. And it took me four months to write it. And then I thought somebody might read it. And I, I, my diction in English is good, my spelling is not. 
So I wanted my former English professor to correct my spelling. So I called her. We met three times. And third time she said to me, now Eva, very nice. You forgive this Dr. Munch. Your problem is not with Dr. Munch. Your problem is with Dr. Mengele. I was not quite ready to forgive Mengele. She said to me, okay, I have been meeting with you, correcting your letter. Now I want you to do me a favor. When you go home tonight, pretend that Mengele is in the room and you are telling him that you forgive him. But I want to find out how would it make you feel if you could do that. Interesting idea, son. <laughs> and when I got home, actually, I did something else. I picked up a dictionary and wrote down 20 nasty words, which I read clear and loud that make-believe mangle in the room. And at the end I said, in spite of all that, I forgive you. Made me feel very good that I, the little guinea pig of 50 years, even had the power over the angel of death of Auschwitz. So that is the way we arrived in Auschwitz. Dr. Munch came with his son, daughter, and granddaughter. I took my son and my daughter. I read my declaration of amnesty, which is a very good little document. And uh, I signed it. Dr. Munch signed his document. I felt free, free from Auschwitz, free from Mengele. So now that I have forgiven him, I knew that most of the survivors denounced me and they denounced me today also. But what is my forgiveness? I like it. It is an act of self-healing, self-liberation, self-empowerment. All victims are hurt, feel hopeless, feel helpless, feel powerless. I want everybody to remember that we cannot change what happened. That is a tragic part, but we can change how we relate to it. Oh, I always have the hardest time with this. She's something, isn't she? Yeah. <clears throat> she died in recent years. Um, and, you know, she just she has a lot to say about forgiveness. And she, um, we don't have any, she doesn't talk about faith at all. And so we don't have any way of knowing uh, what role that plays in her life. And um, <clears throat> so I don't want to assume anything, but... What, do you have a thought? Well, I know it's a passage from the Old Testament that really just reminds me of Isaiah 43, verse 25. God speaking, and God says, I, even I, wipe out your transgressions for my own sake. Hmm. And that's kind of what she was talking about, wiping out his transgressions. For I heard the peace. Mm-hmm. And that's what God says about himself. I, mm-hmm. even I. That's so. So he's healthy. Yes. Yeah. That's so good. Isaiah 43 25. That's really good. Thank you. She is um, remarkable in a lot of ways and for for, uh, doing what she did and extending forgiveness towards Mengele. And uh, we wouldn't exactly say that was effortless, would we? Mm. You know, she spent, she said she spent four, 
months writing that letter to Dr. Munch, and then, and then she, you know, is prompted to uh, forgive Mengele. And, and what I especially appreciated about her was where she was, she, she did what we do. She put him in a chair, and she spent time looking up those words and saying what she wanted to say to him. And, and then she did, told him how she felt, and then she forgave him and forgave him of a debt that he could never repay and just canceled that against him. And, um, of course, Mengele's long gone when she did that. And, uh, but for her, it was healing. And she said, it made me feel good that I, this little guinea pig from Auschwitz, had the power to forgive. So how much more do we, with uh, being um, connected to Jesus, having a shared life with him now, his life inside of us, being able to, through his guidance and care of us, being able to extend forgiveness towards the people who have wronged us and the ways that we have been hurt. Um, Any other thoughts about this? I don't want to leave it too soon. Okay. I want to share a document with you. A lot of you probably already use this and know about it, but if you don't, I want you to be aware of it. And if you'd like a digital copy of this, just put your name on that piece of paper by the door. And um, if you'll pass that. Yes. Sure. Thank you. Okay. I don't know where this came from originally, but it's not original to us, Operation 220. It came from a sister ministry, so maybe a lot of you have already seen this. But I really like this document because... It makes what might be um, more ambiguous or a little hard for a person to wrap their minds around a situation where they have been hurt by someone. And so this makes it a a lot more concrete. So not everybody uses this in, in our office, but I happen to like it a lot. So it's pretty self explanatory. There is an offender, someone who has taken something that doesn't belong to them, and they don't have the power to repay, and that's where their name goes. And then it's just a simple matter of what is it that happened? You just write it down. What happened? What was my expectation? You know, my best friend forgets my birthday. So that's what happened. That was sad for me. That was hard. My expectation is, well, you're my friend. You're going to remember my birthday. We always go out to dinner on our birthdays. And so, so that would be my expectation. And then how I felt about it, disappointed, like I didn't matter, let down, invisible, all of the feelings that you have about it go in that column. And then the last one, just the cost of what's the significance of this particular hurt? What's the weight with 10 being the greatest and one being the, the least how big a hit was this for you? So this then, when you get ready to sit the person in the chair and tell them, talk to them about what happened um, and asking the Lord to give you his thoughts about the person, his thoughts about what occurred, um, then this is, you've done so much work already to get to this point. It's right there in front of you. It's just a way of exploring that can be helpful for a lot of people. And, and there's a component to this, too, uh, we don't want to neglect, is that there is grief and loss and changes in people's lives that occur when they've been hurt. And so we don't want to miss the opportunity for people to be able to acknowledge identify 
what, what happened, but what happened to you? What did you lose? What did you miss out on? How has your life changed? How were you, um, what was taken from you, and what was the result of that? And so that matters, and that needs to be grieved. And that's where you can come in and walk along somebody who is, who is needing to acknowledge and have courage and bravery to walk into a painful situation that they might have you know, put off doing or not wanted to do or maybe not even realized that it was necessary and not known that that hurt was there. Like when I told you the story about my reaction in that life group meeting to having a conversation about fathers, I was so blindsided by that. I had no, not, I, no conscious awareness of how um, much pain I still had shoved away and had not paid attention to and neglected that. So, so how is this landing on you? What are your thoughts? I've challenged them in our counseling. I know this is a safe space, but as you're processing these things to grieve, would you be willing to go to the brave place? Mm-hmm. Where in a safe place, we're comfortable. In a brave place, it's okay to be uncomfortable as we process through. And I tell you, I have one unsafe girl who latched onto that and started showing up with the deepest, darkest secrets and finally being able, after almost a year of meeting together of talking about sexual abuse and the things that she could never before and it was just simply that will you put yourself into a brave place not Mm. just a safe place that's really good a brave place so it does take courage bravery Mm -hmm. like what you needed to face with your dad it takes so much courage Mm -hmm. to face the pain that you've been pushing away for so long right and you know you for her were that safe person too so you were her companion in her grief and in her journey. And yeah. And she's in it. She's like, we're not talking about it yet. I'm just going to tell you this happened. Huh. So it was like, at, we're right at that place where she's like, I'm telling you this happened, but I don't want to talk about it yet. And then three weeks later, I know we're going to have to talk about it. I know I said I don't want to, but I know we will one day talk about that together. So. She's cracked the door. She did. You know, it reminds me of this, um, this, uh, word picture that came to me when I was having to deal with things myself, I felt like I was on the operating table and I wanted to get off because I didn't want to have this surgery and it was going to be too painful and I didn't, I didn't see an, an anesthesiologist there. And so, so there I was on that table and so part of me really wanted to get off and just like go back to where I was before and then another part of me you know knew that I needed to stay there so you know part of us can really want it another part of us is just it just hurts it's just hard so the role that we get to play that I love that you're describing is to be that support and like I'm gonna you know I'm gonna be brave along with you and I'm gonna I'm gonna walk with you through this so that's beautiful it's beautiful. So, okay, we're doing well with time. Any other thoughts that you have? I know you all are busy working with people, and, you know, you've had situations, and um, I love being able to learn from each other. Okay. So, now, Eva, I... I you know, she's kind of a hero to me now. I think she's amazing, impressive. And, and so I think about the fact that she, um, I don't know if she knew Jesus or not, but we do. And so we have supernatural access. And uh, we, have, we have something very life-giving, don't we? And so I remember, we have to remember that we aren't in a self-improvement process. We cannot be our own healer. 
we can't even be the healer for the people that we love and that we care for and that we're you know, sweating bullets with. Uh, but we have a healer. And so I love these verses in different places in John. And I'm reminded that, you know, when Jesus says, I'm sending you a helper, I'm sending you a helper. And he's going to teach you everything. He's going to teach you everything. So he says he will teach you all things. So I guess this is part of the all things. He's going to show you. He's going to help you navigate these painful, rough spots as you're growing and depending on me and learning how to trust. Um, And Jesus says, and when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. I love being reminded that um, when I'm with someone and they're dealing with some heavy things, that it's really not up to me. Thank the Lord for that. That that's, that's just a, quite a burden, you know, to take on. It's, it's an easy one to pick up because, because we are caring people and um, these people matter to us. But to know that we've got Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in there, and he's at work, and he's doing things that we can't even, we're not even conscious of and, and don't need to be. And that he's, he's active on their behalf. Um, and Jesus says, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So that's what this is about. The, 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 the end goal that we hope that we will receive for ourselves and for the people that we care about is that they're going to have peace and calm inside. That where there's been tragedy and loss and terrible grief and heartbreak, betrayal, that with the love and the care of Jesus that they are restored, that they are comforted. That's, that's something I don't want to forget because one of the sad outcomes, if we don't feel like we can open ourselves up, become vulnerable to the Lord or to, to someone who's trying to help us, that we miss out on God's comfort. And we desperately need that. Otherwise, we're just, you know, we're just trying to be our own healer and navigate this life ourselves. And that just does not work. And then Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And I think about John Best was in here earlier, and I was, I was just reminded how he says, we are not doing life alone anymore. We are doing a shared life, and we are arm in arm with him, and we're not left to navigate any of this, even this big complicated uh, topic of messy, complicated topic of forgiveness, the reality of it. So any other feedback, thoughts, comments? I have to be careful uh, working with someone not to push them to forgiveness. When I say, oh, I see the event, I see this, well, you need to forgive. Mm-hmm. Well, some people aren't ready mm-hmm. uh, at that moment. They're not really processed through it. And uh, so I think there's that delicate balance of encouraging them toward forgiveness, yet not pushing them to to, to do something just to check a box off. Mm-hmm. Well, our process says, oh, forgiveness, check, let's move on. This is next. This is next. <laughs> and, um, and that's always a delicate balance. Yes, you're right. You're right. Because we see it, don't we? It's like, wow, okay. I mean, and, and we can be tempted to go for it, you know, because we know that that's going to be meaningful. It's important and necessary. Um, but you're right, letting them lead it and trust trust the Lord in them and for them, that's good like that but I also think there are times when you might need to challenge that a little bit and just remind them, God, it's a commandment that we forgive and not that they you know, have to do it that, at that moment or whatever, but just I think I, don't know, I, had, I had a, a situation where she was saying I'm just not ready and um, she had forgiven somebody else but this particular situation she wasn't ready and so I just was able to take her back to that other remember what freedom you had mm-hmm. God, this is a commandment that God gives us that we, mm-hmm. we are to forgive one another and so do you want that same freedom for this mm-hmm. um, and so she was at that she was willing to step into it but but only because there was you know I challenged her with I'm not ready yeah 
Yeah, you you obviously had the you had created the opportunity, and she trusted you. You had you had the right, I guess I'm trying to say, to to give her a little nudge, and yeah, I mean, scripture is full of invitations to forgive and reminders, and you know, here's here's the thing, and because we are by nature forgiving people, you're right, you're right. Sometimes they need a little encouragement along the way. Yeah, that's good. Yes. Uh, I remember when I was going through forgiveness and forgiving people. Uh, you know, I wish somebody would, or would have encouraged me. It's like, you know, the enemy's going to bring these feelings back up. But, you know, he'll bring those memories that hurt me mm-hmm. back up. And just having to, in one sense, it's like, no, I've chosen. You know, mm-hmm. go back to the, you know, back to who I am in Christ, back to the cross. It's like, well, I've chosen to forgive. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the enemy is just bringing that stuff. To run, try to recall it to mind. Mm-hmm. Down in places, um, and I'd struggle with that for a while. It's like, oh, so I need to spend another 15, 20 minutes, you know, and I sort yeah. of caught up into that whole cycle. And, uh, uh, you know, so there were a few people that were encouraging me, you know, finally at the time of just, like, the enemy's going to bring some of this stuff back up. Just want to, mm-hmm. you know, poke at old wounds, but then realize it's like, you know, I, I've made that hard choice. I've changed it from you. Making another opportunity. Oh, good. Thank you. I'm going to start praying for this person right now. You That's know, a good. Instead of having to dredge up all the old, or you know, revisit all that stuff again. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's a that's a good point because um, you know, forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting, right? Um, but maybe it becomes less, a little bit less impactful. You know, I, I think it's possible that we would um, there might be some component. That that we um, might Jesus might be inviting us into to to explore a little bit more. I'm not saying that's what you're saying, but I think that's what makes being a human so um, complicated. I don't know what other word to say, but I appreciate that reminder. You know, just to be able to stand in what you've done and being assured and reassured that you don't have to go back or wade into that. And if they're entrusted, if there is anything more ever that we are, he's calling us to notice, to pay attention to, he's going to make that clear. Um, so thank you so much for your comment. Yes. I'm an old soldier, and uh, so I can relate things to PTSD more readily than some folks maybe. But um, in reality, we are all old soldiers of the cross and we all have traumas and we all suffer PTSD in various ways that forgiveness part is uh, for me relates well with that Uh, it's like having a scar Um, you don't you have the scar to remind you of the surgery or the damage that was done but that doesn't mean you have to feel the pain of the original, hmm. what occurred to make the scar or the PT, the trauma. Hmm. You don't have to go through that again. Remembering that the trauma occurred, seeing the scar does not require you to, to go through the forgiveness again. Hmm. Uh, the, that's that's a, a forget that isn't possible. You, hmm. You're not going to forget the scar. You're not going to forget the trauma. And sometimes it's the Holy Spirit that brings it back to you just when you need it to remind you of the kind of forgiveness that you've received. Hmm. That's a good point. That's a, because you have the scar, you don't forget the surgery. Yeah. That, but, yeah, but you don't have to have the operation again. Wow, yeah. the surgery, I don't have to go through that again. Yeah, thank God. Yeah. I think that connects with what, uh, with what you're mentioning, too. That's good. Uh, Here is a book. Some of you may know about this. It's called Effortless Forgiveness, and it's by Ed Smith. It's a great resource uh, to pick up. Some of y'all have read it, and uh, it just has been uh, thought-provoking for me and, I guess, instructive, I would say, very encouraging in how to navigate the messiness of the emotional world. 
when a lot of us good Christians have been trained to think think the right think the right things and think the truth, which is not wrong, but let's not forget the heart too. Jesus says, forgive from the heart. So Do you have a favorite strategy on engaging the heart with your Oh my goodness. I knew I should have ended this two minutes ago. <laughs> You know, it's not magic at all, and I'm sure you're doing something similar, but it's just how bad of Kim, I, I heard you say something that seems very important to me. I don't want us to miss it. Do you mind? Can we explore that? And we'll just walk around in it and see what comes up. Um, and a, a lot of things that people are hesitant to talk about are so normal. The, their responses to it are, you go, yes, well, no wonder you feel that way. Of course, that makes perfect sense. Those kinds of responses, oh, yeah, I get it. And just having, I think, being warm and having empathy like you all do. Just being warm, accepting, having empathy and go, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I can see why you saw it that way. I can see when that happened, of course. I think that's huge. Getting out, being curious, and getting out of your own head, and just slowing things down, and just being curious. I really want to understand that. Can you help me understand this a little bit better? Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, Greg. Carl, it's very nice to walk into a Red House session that you're teaching. <laughs> nice to see you up there. Thanks, Greg. Um, I want to talk about Ed Smith's book for a minute. Okay. Ed's this approach, I don't want to put words into his mouth, but his approach seems to be kind of in summary form. When the Holy Spirit finally leads us to a place of revealing the truth to us and enabling us to see as he sees, mm-hmm. then forgiveness truly does become effortless. Mm. It's not something we have to strive to do. It simply becomes something we automatically do. It's like, of course I forgive this person because we're seeing as the Holy Spirit sees. I agree. Yes, I think that's his I'm bottom line. I'm not saying I'm there. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm just, is that your assessment of what yes. he's saying? Yes. And I have a friend who's involved in, in Ed Smith ministry on staff. Uh-huh. Who's here with me, but she's not in this room. And I struggle with some of this. Uh-huh. It's like, okay, how do I get to the point where I'm really ready for the Holy Spirit to show me the, what, the, what the real truth is? I think that's God's job. Uh, that's, that's, I guess that's where I have to land, that that's the, that's the that's responsibility. If the, I guess our part is I'm willing for you to do whatever. I'm willing for you to do what's needed to get me to that point. And I think the effortless part comes after a lot of effort where there's, so that's why I kind of like this title, but, but all of this work, like even when we saw with Eva, all that she did before she actually forgave, we do that too. We acknowledge, we face it, we're brave, we're, we're writing about it, we're crying, we're grieving losses, all of that. And as we're becoming vulnerable and available to the Holy Spirit, then and he shows us the humanity of the offender. And then, then, it, then, it's, then it's the natural outcome, and then it's effortless. But it seems to me like it's a whole lot of effort that happens before that. I don't know. That's my assessment. It just it struck me when I saw the uh, Can't Forgive This Be Effortless, when I, when I was, as, as I was walking in here at night, I thought, Yes, and the answer is yes. And so the answer to that question: Can forgiveness be effortless? Kind of. I don't know what you would say. So, yeah. But he is—he is very good and very clear about how um, how to think about it and how to approach it, and to not um, get tripped up by. you know, trying to avoid how you feel about the things that happened and, and being brave. Yeah. Yeah, Penny? My role a lot of times is to 
kind of these little pegs that holds them down long enough that they can quit circling around in their head and start getting it out here and then they can hear it and they also kind of see it through my eyes which gives them a little bit of perspective and then they realize more where they are they discover what they're feeling because we were there to hold them in that attention place long enough for them to get it so they're not alone in it. Yes, and, and we reflect and kind of help them mm-hmm. see what they're saying, and then that helps them move along. I also think when somebody says, well, I just can't forgive them. I don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. That's really a victory because now they they put you know the, the sword in the ground, and that invites the Holy Spirit to kind of nudge them away from that. But until you say, no, I'm not willing, then you don't realize you're not willing, and then you become willing. So that becomes that blinking light on the dashboard. There you got some feelings in there. That's, that's the thing to grab, and that's the jumping off point. Yeah. And that's, I think that's when Ed Smith says, you, when you've got feelings, uh, pay attention to that. God's showing you that there's something important happening and that you matter. This whole thing matters. Let's go. Yeah. Okay, thank you, everybody.